Hello and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Comics Podcast, Episode Sixty One. I'm Christina, and I'm joined by the other nerd, Ryan. Hello, Rory. Yo. And Chris is off this week. Together we take on this week's comics. Each week we read a variety of comics and gather her to discuss them. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. If you don't want to hear spoilers, take a break now, go read your week's books, then come back. Each week one of us picks our favorite book. That's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. This week, the pick of the week goes to Animosity, The Rise, number one. Our companion song is Half-Life number two, No Celebration by Arcade Fire, because it pretty much almost talks about the destruction of San Francisco. So let's take a listen. So, Animosity, The Rise, number one, Aftershock Comics, written by Marguerite Bennett, art by Juan Doe. I love reading all of Animosity, and it's kind of horrible because I love reading it sitting next to my dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And loving them, in case this ever does ever happen. I feel like I have enough good juju with animals in the world that I will probably be okay. I feel that my husband is fucked. You think your dogs would vouch for you? You think you'd be safe in the uprising? I'd like to think that I feed them, I love them, I take good care of them, I spoil them. I feel that I'll be alright. And I've rescued other dogs that are around like where we live. That's true. I've seen plenty of pictures of you giving a dog a ride in your truck to go to, you know, yep. the vet. Some random dog. Just last week, I rescued a dog that straight up looked like a wolf. Not a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> We're worried about that one. Have a little sign around his neck that said, is not wolf. Give ride. <laughs> Yellow eyes. No joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to work in the middle of the road, and I'm like, oh, no, Bubby. You got to go home. And so I tried to get him in the car. I actually slowly followed him up back to where his home was, didn't know where his home was, got out. I always have a leash in my car, snacks, and the back is covered with a dog thing. So I was like ready to get him. And uh, luckily I did get him home. That was his actual home and his owner came and opened the gate for him. He's a herding dog that just happens to look like a giant wolf. (laughs) Moving on. If you're not familiar with animosity, the animals of the world wake up and start attacking people because, well, we're horrible people. We've, you know, mistreated them in many ways. We eat them. One of my favorite parts of all these stories is the waking up the animals and all of a sudden, like, they say, like, weird, crazy things. What was it? They're like, we're going to take your women and these two, like, little foxes. One of them's cheating on each other and the pelican who's, they're all stealing the fucking cell phones and iPads and all that crazy ass shit. Where he's like, I can't fucking wait till I get thumbs. Like, all of those weird little lines are some of the best parts of animosity in general when the animals, like, actually seem to have personality. I like that the dolphins are the assholes of the sea. Yeah! They're like frat boys. They seem like they're fun until they start grinding against you at a pool party against your will, you know? Well, you know, a lot of that they've been sexually molested by dolphins. Yeah, it's a thing. I will probably never, ever go swim with dolphins. (laughs) 
I thought it was really sad when they ripped off that little seal's like flipper. I know. I love the other seal who's like, eat shit, fuck hole, and just slams <laughs> his body into the dolphin. Yeah. Tries to help the seal whose arm had been ripped off by the fucking asshole dolphin. It's kind of weird where he's like, he knows what to do because he, obviously he was a vet, but he's like getting compressed. Somebody says they have a sewing kit. It's like, well, it's a, oh, a sewing kit's going to do it. And then they get attacked by the birds again because like, they haven't heard the animals talk until now and the seal like stares at him and says hey stranger thank you and touches with his bloody hand it was so sad it was cute but yeah. it was, it's a yeah. sweet moment it was like animal thank you like there's a things that animals do to think you know they nudge you or they lick you or they pet you do you love you and that to us it's a human characteristic to see it kind of exemplified here is oh so creepy too that's one thing i like about animosity is the breakdown of like good and evil animals isn't really clear like it's i mean i've said this before about it it's not like predators are bad and prey animals are good it, it's not like that some dogs are good some dogs are bad yeah. some dolphins well Every dolphin we've seen is evil. Every dolphin is a fucking (laughs) asshole. (laughs) But, you know, cats, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Like people, some of them are good, some of them are bad. I'm going to call bullshit on that one because all cats are evil. Right, kitty? It's true. (laughs) (laughs) You seem to have an asshole cat. (laughs) Hey, owners and pets resemble each other, you know? Oh, very true. (laughs) (laughs) So, the guy who helped save the seal has been put into a detainment center this is the weirdest thing he's like a wolf malamute yeah. he looks so evil and creepy but it doesn't seem to be horribly horribly evil but kind of kind of evil i'd say more menacing than evil he does look really menacing he actually takes him out he's showing him what's happening in the world and he it almost seems like he's trying to be like the ruler and he shows him like this city will not fall and he has all these animals who are trying to take care of the buildings like they're on fire the little elephant fire brigade that was so adorable with the dalmatians on the fire truck (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's like that's a disney movie right there that's adorable (laughs) it kind of is in a weird way so he shows him they didn't just save him they also saved the women who were helping him the good people he saw the two foxes again he's walking him through what's kind of left of the city and saying the sea lion has saved you and he's she speaks for you we don't really know still who you are so we're gonna still keep you detained and the fucking guard in his room dear god the creepy bat i love bat this to me 100 percent looks like a fruit bat because it's got a fox yep. face if you go to the oakland zoo there are gigantic fruit bats and i'm like holy shit because this place takes place in san francisco i'm like oh my god the bats got out the bats are creepy as fuck <laughs> The bat is super, super, super creepy. Love bats still super creepy. So what was it? His name is Wintermute, the wolf Malamute hybrid crazy yes. animal. Seems like he's kind of like, if you go along with the plan, things are going to be fine. But if you resist, then you know we'll rip your throat out. But if you're cool, we'll be cool. Yeah. What is his thing is United Hybridized, which the next scene is kind of very menacing because he's going to turn himself into a freaking mecha wolf. With arms. I don't think he's good. I really don't. I think he's saving who he thinks will help along the way because the guy was a vet veterinarian so he probably can do like surgeries and stuff like that so I'm wondering if he's going to take him and anybody else he can who may be useful to him to make him supreme overlord wolf mute I enjoy it because it's kind of silly and nonsensical, but almost at a moment, sometimes I'm like, well, the way the world is going, maybe shit does go down. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's kind of cute in parts, it's menacing in parts, and it's just realistic enough that you're like, hmm, I wonder what would happen if this really happened. Mm -hmm. The crabs, did they actually talk? Yeah. When they're killing that bird, they're like, how does it feel to be turned into shit, you shit bird? When they're eating it, he holds out like a piece of food for the seagull to come down, and then all the crabs swarm on the seagull and just kill it. God, <laughs> it's brutal. Nothing is good. At least the seals seem kind of Under good. the sea, my ass. This is I know. <laughs> Oh man, hmm. Little Mermaid would be such a different movie. I dig it in Oasi. I mean, it, it's a good fun run. It's it's interesting to see what they do. I think that they're planning on like mass producing that because if you noticed, one of the dick seagulls was like, just with <laughs> yeah. fucking thumbs. And so I think that there's going to be a bunch of fucking animals with robot arms. <laughs> the mega animals. Is what I'm thinking. It's interesting too because you think about it like San Francisco and the Bay Area has Silicon Valley. So it's so possible that the West Coast of animals all become mecha animals versus the New York and some sort of crazy battle out in the end for world supremacy. Are we rating this? Sure, let's rate it. I will give it four and a quarter eat shit fuckholes. I love that line. That's what I was gonna use. <laughs> I was gonna use eat shit shit bird. Well, it's close, but I love the fucking one-liners from some of the animals. I don't know, the one-liners <laughs> are super good in, so far, all of the books from the animals. I enjoy them very much. I will give it four give us your women. Mine's similar. I'm gonna give it four rapey dolphins. Oh, super rapey dolphins. Why are they so rapey? Fucking dolphins. You think they're cute little oh, flippers. So In actuality, no. They're the ah. fucking molestos of the sea. <laughs> so true. <laughs> All right. Let's go into the uh, uh, Marvelverse. Yeah, it's my turn now. With. This week I got Thanos number three, Marvel Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, Pencils and inks by Mike Diodato. Colors by Frank Martin. So this was an interesting issue. I guess I could really summarize this one real fucking quick. It basically starts off with, I kind of liked how they did this with Thanos' childhood friend in the beginning. And he's like sitting there saying, oh yeah, the mad world killer and mad titan came later. He was just a boy named Thanos back then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's just kind of like talking about like how they had like a normal childhood and there was something that came along that changed him. And then this guy happened to have left Titan before all the murderizing began. And then basically the rest of the damn comic is Thanos fighting a bunch of, like, a space superhero team. It's the Shi'ar Empire that he's fighting. The Shi'ar Imperium has their super advanced badass guys, and they're just going against him and whooping on him. But they do, like, note at one point or another, he's got, like, a weakness, and at one point somebody hits him and he actually bleeds. It's kind of like something to be said to the power of Thanos, which even in his weakened condition, he could just still take out, like, dozens of superheroes. <laughs> Yeah. Most of the comic is Thanos fighting these superheroes and stuff, and they have a couple of splits where they're, like, interviewing people. And so, like, there's one chick who's talking about how she was, like, a medic when Thanos destroyed Titan and committed genocide and blah, blah, blah. And the rest of it is just him fighting. And then eventually, like, the superhero team just kind of, like, dives on him and ends up beating him down. And they're like, I don't know, it was hella funny because they were like, you know, oh, shit, we actually beat him. <laughs> yeah, they're just as surprised. <laughs> Yeah, that's how you know you're powerful, when dozens of enemies attack you, and they're going, oh my god, we actually beat him? <laughs> and those are not pushover superheroes. Like, each one of them is easily as powerful as an A-list member of the Avengers, or, you know, one of the Guardians of the Galaxy, or something like that. Like, they are, in their own rights, powerful. But it takes, like, 30 of them, with Thanos having, like, space flu, to, you know, beat his ass, so... <laughs> 
Well, there's something wrong with him that's killing him, and they don't know what it is. So. He's got a runny nose. It's blood, but... <laughs> Although I expect, you know, Thanos to issue an interview explaining that he was ill before the fight, and that's why he lost, like everyone does when they get their ass beat in a fight that they should have won. I really liked the interviews that they had in this issue. I thought it was a really cool way to show you the personal impact that Thanos has. That his crimes are, like, on a scale of galaxy-wide, but there are people that are affected yeah. I liked that. That was the best part was the interviews. I could have had most of the interviews and then just little flashbacks to the fighting. Pip the troll. Oh my god, that was like, fuck you, he's evil. (laughs) (laughs) You killed half of the people in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. He's like sitting in the bar. He's like, what's the world coming to? And he goes to like light up a cigarette after being this like really grueling interview. They're like, sorry, sir, you can't smoke in here. He's like, see, (laughs) what did I tell you? <laughs> See, I thought the interviews were great. I mean, the fights were cool too. Honestly, I yeah. think that's what saved the comic. I was kind of bored by it the rest of the time. Uh, yeah, the interviews were awesome. I flipped through a lot of the fighting and read most of the interviews. That was just better by far. The more interesting yeah, you weren't really missing out on much on the fights. I mean, it was standard superhero yeah. fights. They didn't do anything special, anything groovy. Yeah, and I don't know who any of those people are. Yeah, I think that's the thing is because you don't know exactly what their powers can do. You're just like they're just space yeah, punching each yep. other. You know, I've seen it. You got some beam blast. <laughs> I've seen it. You know, yeah, you, you got some bangs and some zots, you know, a punch to the face. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's all they do in superhero comics. Nobody kicks. Nobody karate chops. You know, it's just no. I'm gonna overhand right <laughs> you to death. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> oh god. Yeah. So I mean, it's nothing special. It was all right. Yeah, I really like the art that they did for the interviews too. I like that it looked a little different. It stood out. I would actually prefer to see the whole comic like that. I totally agree. It was much better than the rest of it. Create it. Uh, do it. So I'm gonna give it three. What What the hell is the universe coming to? <laughs> I will give it three and a half. I saw it with my own damn eyes. I will give it three. I totally want to have a drink with Pip the Space Bull. <laughs> <laughs> well, since all three of us quoted him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he seems like a cool little dude. He does. I would like to see more of him. All right, Ryan, take us to this other place. We're checking in with Wonder Woman over in the DC Universe. Wonder Woman number 15, The Truth, part one, written by Greg Rucka, art by Liam Sharp. So, Wonder Wonder Woman has a way that they do each issue is there's always two arcs of Wonder Woman going on. So the next issue of Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 16, will be a different Wonder Woman story that all kind of tie together like thematically. One's about her past, one's kind of like about the present. So this one, I was really hoping to get more Wonder Woman in my Wonder Woman comic, honestly. Not so much. (laughs) Mostly about the team that she's assembled that are trying to help her. And she's gone fucking crazy and is in like an insane asylum, either hallucinating or maybe these are actual mythical things that are happening to her. But she's locked in a padded room and people are, they're not making fun of her because they're doctors, but they're like, she's delusional. This Diana Prince thinks she's Wonder Woman. One of the orderlies is like, well, has anyone told her she was Wonder Woman? She could just get the hell out of here anytime she wanted to. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, not yet. So, so she's kind of sitting in a padded cell and there's like an orderly that's like pushing her around the garden to, you know, give her some fresh air and clear her mind kind of. And she has this snake that's like moving in and out of her arm. There's like holes in her arm that is moving through, which clearly she's the only one that can see. And honestly, I don't know if that's something from Greek myth or she's just gone crazy. There's a lot of scenes with her and that snake talking. There's a couple scenes 
back on Themyscira with the other Amazonians discovering this really menacing thing that's happened and they're like gathering all the Amazons together. So there's lots of things going on here. But what I really wanted from a new arc was to bring you up to speed without having to have read the previous arcs. And I don't think this one accomplishes that. I think this one, if you've read the previous issues of Wonder Woman, and I've read most of them, it's decent enough. But if you haven't, I think you're going to be really fucking lost. You guys probably have not been keeping up on Wonder Woman. So how was your impression of it without having read nope. the previous arc? Whole bag of nope. Yeah, whole bag of Yeah, nope. I think this one sets the bar a little too high for your Wonder Woman lore to be easily accessible for, for most people. So I probably am still going to check out the next Wonder Woman one because it's usually the second arc that I like better than the first one for Wonder Woman. Like, I don't find these stories about her past to be all that interesting, but I like the other ones more. So maybe that one will be better. But this one, I was pretty disappointed in overall. Alright, well I guess let's rate it. I will give it two insane asylums. Two and a half insane asylums. It's pretty decent if you've actually been reading Wonder Woman, but if you haven't, it's going to be confusing as shit. And a new arc should not this do that. This is confusing. I have no idea what's going on. I don't know a lot of these people. I know who Cheetah is, but that still didn't help me. There seemed like there was too much going on. Sometimes it's okay at the start of an issue not to understand what's going on, but the story should compel you to want to learn more and also give you enough information to like piece it all together. Yes. And I don't think this one really does it's- This felt very, very fragmented to me. And I like some stories that don't allude to any. This is the ride you're going to take, not knowing uh anything. This was not compelling to me at Uh all. I want off this ride. I want my money back. One Fist of Justice with a middle finger. (laughs) Not a good issue to jump in on. All right. Well, let's go over to Image Comics. So I have Loose Ends, issue number one from Image Comics, written by Jason Latour, pencils and inks by Chris Brenner, colors by Rico Renzi. I like Jason Latour, and he was very proud of this on his Instagram. Instagram, he shared a lot of pictures of it. I like the artwork. I'm not sure if this is an overly complicated story or it is a very simple story. I found it a very boring story <laughs> with no real entry point for me. I'm going to just kind of think about what I think the story is, which I don't think it fully got out. I think these are people coming back from the military who potentially all know each other and they're coming to tie up loose ends. They've done some bad things in their life. They had a child, left the mom. It looks like one of them was a drug runner. I think that's what the story is trying to get that. Whether it was executed that way, I don't think so. Yeah, I think you're right with the concept, but the execution is not no. good. I'm trying to give it a chance. Some of the art I really, really like in this, some of them I don't. I'm one of those people who like the less dialogue, but I think this one kind of suffered from that. You know, I had the exact same thought. I really like silent panels and stuff. Like, it's funny to talk about writing in silent panels, mm-hmm. but here, there's lots of silent panels, but they don't seem like they're very impactful. No. Like, if you're going to do silent panels, that picture really does need to say a thousand words and these are kind of like mumbling it's not really doing very much besides that i do in a way like it because i think i feel i know where the story is going and i think it's going to be more interesting that being said i don't think it was a really good issue and i think it's going to turn people off which is unfortunate because i think it could be really really interested um you know i kind of liked it i like the artwork i did find the artwork interesting and pleasing the story i'm not really getting where they're going with it we're gonna have to wait and see because yeah it was kind of confusing at a lot of i feel like there should have left some more breadcrumbs in the story and yeah. maybe they did but i don't think they were pointed enough to get us to where they're going i found the characters to be really indistinct it was kind of hard to tell at least for me whose story i was reading if it was one person's story with 
with flashbacks yeah. or different people with concurrent storylines that are going. I just found it really muddled. I really like Jason Latour. Yeah. I think he's a great artist. Like he can convey on like Southern Bastard, he can convey a lot of emotion with his artwork. He can have very impactful scenes, but I think you can tell this is not normally a writer that's writing this. Yes. I think he's expecting this. And I mean, I think I am looking into it more than what you kind of get like at face value. Like I do think that there is a good story behind here. I just don't think it was executed enough for us. I don't want to say a normal person to understand, but I think you really have to read really deep into the story to figure it out. I think this is a really good example of the idea that everyone has good ideas, but it's the execution of the idea that exactly. really matters. It's like when writers are like, oh, I've got writer's block. And people are like, well, I got an idea for a story for you. They're like, no shit, asshole. I've got an idea for a story too. But actually making 300 pages happen, or in this case, you know, 25 pages is way harder than just saying you have a good idea. And I wonder if the next issues will help more. And if that's the case, then I feel that maybe this should have been a graphic novel instead. Oh, let's rate this thing, right. I guess. I am going to give it two pairs of booty shorts. Oh, nice. I did like how she was drawn. <laughs> Very pleasing, Ryan. <laughs> I will also give it too drunk in the passenger seat of a car. <laughs> I'm thinking there's something greater coming on here. I do too. So I'm going to be a little bit more lenient than you guys were. I'm going to say two and a half honky-tonk barbecues. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I hope that with the next books, the story gets a little more exposed because I do think I actually like it even though I rate it so low. I do think I still like it. I hope to see what comes next. Now, go be your hillbilly self. Now we've broken into the south. <laughs> 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 Once you pop, you can't stop. Let's hear this tale of Rondell, the wandering oh, hillbilly. This shit is awesome. I'm not gonna lie. I would have never, ever thought to pick this book. Oh, so it's good. so fucking good. So good old Rondell, the wandering hillbilly. He starts off wandering through the forest because... You gotta give us the information so, sorry, on the book. I'm too excited there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get into redneck shit. (laughs) 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 So we got Hillbilly number five, Albatross Funny Books, The Midnight Devilment of Taily Poe, written and art by Eric Powell. And then also Taily Poe and the Iron Child, also written by Eric Powell and art by Steve Menyon. So we start off with Rondell, the wandering hillbilly, roaming through the Ozarks or wherever he's at. The back hills of somewhere. Yes. <laughs> Some backwater location. Appalachian. With weird sandwiches, yes. cats, and <laughs> heavy backwoods folklore you ever heard being true. Roaming somewhere in the dirty south. Some farmer takes a shot at him with a bow and he talks with them because the guy's obviously having issues and stuff. Finds out that there's this devil that's been robbing this farmer's, whatever he is, this fucking mountain f- trash guy that's out in the <laughs> Mountain trash. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing the best he can, man. That's an honest living. He's trapping and, yeah. you know. Living out with his 12 dogs. Hunting. Eating devil tails. Yeah. And- Why the fuck would you ever think that was a good idea? Seriously. Yeah. Did it out of spite and he'd been starving. Come on. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> We're kind of getting ahead, but there's a line that Rondell has that I think is pretty great for that. So this devil's been setting all of his traps and eating all kill that he's been getting. So this guy's like been sitting here starving. And so he sets like a magical rope trap for the thing and catches its tail and it chews its tail off. This mountain trash motherfucker decides that since he's starving, he's going to eat this thing's tail. He 
eats it down and spits all the bones into an ash bucket. And then the thing starts haunting him, basically, because it wants its tail back. It's like every nightmarish child story. Yeah, he wants his taily bones. The guy sticks his dogs on it, comes to his house every night, tortures him and shit. It kills all of his fucking dogs. And kills him bad, too. Like, kills him, like, slowly enough that he can hear them dying out in the woods being tortured. He tells Rondell how, the, you know, this thing keeps on coming to him every night, and he's eventually it's going to get in and get at him, you know, because he's got his house all locked up and shit. <laughs> As Ryan mentioned, Rondell's like, well, I'd say that's a lesson not to go eating strange meat off an unfamiliar beast. Ain't that the truth, Rondell? Ain't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, Rondell's like, basically, fuck you, you idiot, but uh, that ain't right what he did to your dogs. <laughs> that was fucking funny. So Rondell basically agrees to kill this thing on account that he doesn't like it mistreating dogs and shit, which is fucking hilarious. So he waits outside, sends this guy off to stay at some other town. So he waits for Telepo to show up. They get in a fight, then climbs up a tree trying to get away from him. And he's like saying, oh, I want my tailbone back. I want my tailbone back. And so he says, you know, he basically has him swear the magical oath that he'll never fuck with the trapper again. And so then he goes and he gets the ash bucket and gives him back his tailbones and the thing's like pissed because he's like, you know, there's no meat on it. How am I supposed to sew it back on? He said, well, you know, a deal's a deal. You you wanted your tailbone back. Well, you got it. And so Rondell moves on. Taylipo meets up with a witch is what it looks like. Yeah, that's like the witch that's been menacing Rondell throughout the whole series. Or as I like to call her, my ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> Taily Poe makes a deal with this witch, and then that's where that story ends. And then it kicks into another Taily Poe story. And this one's, this is cool, too, because they switch up the uh, artist on this one. I dug that, and it looks very much like Brian Froud. It looks kind of like a Brian Froud illustration, almost. Oh, okay, kind so for those of you that are yeah. into artists, that might be an interesting thing for you. This one, it starts off as there's there are these two kids that are in their little cottage out in the fucking in the Appalachians or wherever the fuck they're at on the sticks their parents have gone doing something and there's like this big dragon that's outside like trying to get him to come out and they're like oh mama said not let nobody in the house and then it like bursts through the door because it's hungry and of course you know there's nothing more delicious than children that's just a fact That's science. Rondell fucking shows up right in the nick of time and whips some serpent ass and hacks its head off. And then so the kids ask him if he could stay around until their folks are back. And so Rondell's like, yeah, sure. So he tells him a bedtime story and it's about Taylor Poe and the Iron Child. And it's a story about how the Iron Child, which is basically like a little like... Little Conan. Yeah. <laughs> Conan Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he's walking through the forest and had this big war that he's just gotten done with. As a kid, because, you know. Well, yeah. <laughs> he kind of reminds me of kind of the, like, he sh- looks like he should be in, like, a Gru story or something to me. Oh, you fucker. Yes. I was going to just say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Either, like, a mini Gru the Wonder, which is based off of Conan, of course, or it's just like, yeah, he's, he's definitely a character that could be in a Gru story. Getting some R&R in the forest and... Taily Poe sneaks up on it. He basically likes his axe, and he wants to use it to uh, make horseshoes, apparently. (laughs) He sneaks up on Iron Child, and at first he tries to, like, challenge him and stuff like that to a race, and then he's, like, he's trying to use subtlety to him. Iron Child sees that he's just basically trying to use his ego against him. He's like, well, fuck it, you're challenging me, nobody challenges me, so even though I know what you're doing, but I'm gonna do it anyway. 
But he does say that he wants to choose the sport. He tells Taley Poe, he says, whoever's the first to climb these two trees is the winner. They're trying to make their wager. And, you know, he says that, you know, you're getting my axe. What good is a tail to me? And Taley Poe's like, oh, you could use it for this, that, the other thing. Gets all worked up about it. While he's talking, Iron Child basically takes his tail and ties it to the root of the tree. When they go to race, Taley Poe goes running up the tree, and but his tail's stuck, so he can't get to the top. And then Iron Child hacks his tail off and <laughs> goes running off. Then it splashes back to Rondell as he's telling the story, and the kids are asleep. I kind of like that the story stops halfway through, because I clearly there's more to the story, but the kids have fallen asleep, so he doesn't finish the story. Yeah. So I, I like that, that it still stays within the construct of him telling these kids the story. I totally agree with you. It was a nice touch. I love that these are like American-based fables, American-based mythology. The way that they read is so, so yes. fun. Yes, I agree. He nails that voice. Regional accents yeah. can be really terrible if you do them wrong and really great if you do them right. And this is all right. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. I thought it was great. I haven't been disappointed by Hillbilly yet. I highly doubt that I'm going to. I enjoyed the fuck out of this one. Most of you probably haven't read Hillbilly. You need to. It's fucking awesome. It is so, so good. It's surprisingly good for me. I never thought that I would be reading Hillbilly. It is so fun. Really, really great. I agree. Killer artwork, killer story, always fun to read. Interesting stories, too. I'm going to give it four and a half roasted tails. I will also give it four and a half. I want my taily bone. I'm going to get four and a quarter Roy's ex-wife. <laughs> <laughs> Aw. Let's head away from Bitterlandia over to... <laughs> DC Comics. Dude, I get it, too. If I was talking about one of my exes, I'm sure I'd be doing the same thing. <laughs> Commandy Challenge number one from DC Comics. There are two stories here. The first one is The Rules, written by Dan DiDio, art by Keith Buffett and Scott Koblish. Second story is K is for Killer, written by Dan Abnett, art by Dale Eaglesham. I'm going to go ahead and say that I did not enjoy this. I'm going to say I loved it. So the Commandy Challenge kind of requires some explanation for what it is. So Commandy is an old uh, Jack Kirby series that he wrote for DC Comics. This would have been Jack Kirby's 100th birthday, so they're doing kind of a tribute to him. So when you read through this, you're going to see a lot of retro-looking art and Silver Age, maybe not even Silver Age, but you're going to see a lot of like Kirby-esque writing in here that they're trying to imitate the Kirby style here as much as they can. So I don't know if you've ever been like on a camping trip. There's this game where you guys kind of all like sit in a circle and you start telling a story and then you stop halfway through the story and then the next person has to like pick up the story and continue it. So that's kind of what the Commandy Challenge yeah. is. Each team will write a story and it'll end on a cliffhanger, like a very pulpy, come back next week for the exciting conclusion kind of cliffhanger. And then the new artist has to solve the horrible situation they put him in, tell their story, and then do the same thing to the next artist. And they're going to do this for 12 issues. And then after that, they're going to decide who the best team was. And that's probably who will get the new Commandy book. So that's the whole setup for the story. So the first story by Dan DiDio, which is The Rules, is basically there's this kid wakes up late for school and has to like run to go catch the bus. And he's running through town trying to catch the bus, like taking shortcuts and stuff. And everyone's like really keeping an eye on him. Like the cops are stopping him from crossing the street. And they're like, we're here to keep an eye on you. Like the world depends on it. He's like, well, this is kind of weird. 
weird. You also see some of the people he runs into are artists and creators. He runs into Jack Kirby, who tells him that if he's late for school, don't take any shit from the teachers, basically, for being late, which was kind of cool while he's like chomping on his cigar. So as he's trying to catch the bus so he can make it to school, the sky like shatters open and all these monsters and machines come through. And he's like, holy shit, what just happened? Like the, you know, the sky just burst open, monsters poured. He's almost in like a version of the Truman Show, but there are monsters on the other side that are trying to get in and kill him. So as he's doing that, all these people, like their faces start peeling back and revealing that they're robots underneath. So there's this big battle with lasers and monsters and Kirby machines. Like Kirby's really good and well known for drawing fantastic like space machines. So there's that and there's some cool looking monsters they're fighting. And the kid runs back to go find his grandmother again. They tell him, you know, go find your grandmother. So he runs back. His grandmother's there and tells him that there's a portal that he needs to take that his parents created and they left like a trail throughout the actual world for him to follow to find them so he can go and fix the world that he's as the title says like the last boy on earth so as he's going to do that the monsters burst in there and his grandmother reveals herself to also be a robot and is fighting them as he goes through the portal and he ends up in this weird savage lands kind of world where he's taken prisoner by these tiger people and taken to be in their gladiatorial match so it's shifted from kind of like a Truman show Twilight Zone episode now into being like a Flash Gordon or Planet of the Apes kind of situation but with tiger people instead of apes and he ends up having to fight King Kong is the end of the rules he's in the gladiator match and there's this giant fucking gorilla that's the champion there that he has to defeat so then when you pick up with K for killer now the team has to solve how he's gonna basically defeat King Kong so he's brawling in the arena and he realizes the walls of the arena are electrified like it's an electric fence to keep everyone in so he gets their version of King Kong to charge him and he dodges out of the way and the King Kong hits the electric fence and gets shocked and taken out that way and there's this tiger prince who's in the audience who sees it and is like oh this animal is very cunning much smarter than we thought it would be so let's you know bring it in for a further study so the tiger people drag him into their palace and they have this dog human who's like a doctor who's inspecting him so he gets the name commandy because there's all these things he's supposed to remember and one of the things he's supposed to remember is command d which when they first come across him he's kind of like halfway out of it and he says that so i think his name is commandy that's where the name comes from the dog and the tiger are kind of inspecting him like he's an animal and he's talking and the dog is like amazed at this he's like oh my god this thing can talk and the tiger prince is like well lots of animals can imitate words they can like parrot them back it doesn't mean anything he doesn't know what he's saying so he kind of tells him though but it's still a very cunning animal and will make a great champion for when my father returns then my champion can fight his champion and that'll kind of help me take control of this area he leaves and the dog keeps inspecting him and realizes that it's not just him parroting sounds and words that he actually is kind of sentient although he still keeps calling him an animal throughout the whole thing which is where i got the planet of the apes vibe from this so he's being led through the city and there's this like temple to war that's very mysterious that he as an animal is forbidden from entering and the king returns on a like triumphal parade where he went and defeated the leopard people and he also captured this a religious artifact that is what created the world in their mythology and it's this giant fucking ICBM intercontinental ballistic missile this nuke that they're hauling through town on like these kind of funny like tiger tanks <laughs> that they're using to pull it around and the kid the last kid on earth he sees this and he's like oh my god this is a 
nuke. This is crazy. And the high priest goes to like awaken the god and basically starts the timer on the countdown for the nuke. And that's where K is for killer in. So that's the challenge. Commandy is in like Planet of the Apes and these tiger people are going to set off this nuke and wipe out the world. The next issue will pick up with that challenge and, and go on. I know you were saying you didn't really like it, Christina. I really enjoyed this. I felt like it was had a fun sense of adventure. I like the Kirby style here that they're trying to do. I like the second story way better than the first one. I am not a choose-your-own-adventure person. I was the person who cheated <laughs> and went to the back of the book and was like, yeah, I'm done. So <laughs> this was not for me. It felt like it was a choose-your-own-adventure and every single adventure was you jump the shark. They're trying to fuck up the next person, right? So they're putting him in like, these like crazy, <laughs> impossible situations and then yes. half the fun of it is like, how do you get out of that? Which yes. is very much like the old 60s Marvel and DC books where it's like, oh no, Batman suspended over a tank of sharks. How is he going to get out of this? Or Spider-Man is tied up. It kind of is in that spirit. If you enjoy and appreciate that kind of stuff, I think you'll like it. But if you don't, because this is a, a tribute to that kind of stuff, if you don't like that, you're not going to like this. No, I don't. <laughs> and that's fine, my opinion. <laughs> I appreciate your excitement for it, though, and I think your explanation <laughs> of it was much better well, than don't worry. Reading. We're going to read a lot of them. You'll come to love it. We'll peel your eyes open like oh, you're in man. Clockwork Orange, and yeah. by the end of it, you'll... <laughs> We'll love it. No, I enjoy Clockwork Orange. I do not enjoy Planet of the Apes. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> you didn't get around to this one, right, Rory? Nope. <laughs> now that I understand what it's supposed to be, I'm a little bit more interested. If you like those kind of pulpy, almost like science fiction or fantasy stories, if you like Flash Gordon, if you like Conan, if you like those kind of stories from that time period, and you also have a fondness for Kirby Hertz and that style, which I think is a comic book fan you he deserves you to give this a read and come to appreciate the king because really he's responsible for almost everything we love in, in modern comics so i know stanley gets a lot of the credit or publicity but kirby really is the driving force because he's alive oh and he's like the showman he's like the flavor flavor of comics you know he's like the, the hype man yeah, boy. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much he's a pt barnum he's he is the showman he takes a show on the road he's like the carnival barker which has its value in promoting what you're doing and making comics popular, but let's give Kirby the credit he deserves. Anyway, I liked it. I'm going to give it four, you filthy animal. You got to rate it. I like the dog. <laughs> Dr. Canis? That count for something? I will give it one and three quarters Dr. Canis, which almost sounds like Dr. Zaius. Dr. Zaius, Dr. Zaius. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> the Simpsons musical for it? Yep. You're going to make a monkey out of me, I think is the song that Mark Hamill yep. sings. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Pretty great. I was actually thinking about that while I was reading this. <laughs> I say, was it Luke the Jedi tonight? Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Rory, take us over to Marvel. All righty, we got Civil War Two: The Oath, number one. Marvel Comics, written by Nick Spencer, art by Rod Reese, Phil Noto, Raphael Nico, and Simon Kredansky. And, oh, and, and, and... What? Don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's his name, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Doña is kind of like lady or something like that in Spanish. And I think so Dono is probably like uh, Sir, something of that equivalent. Like Don. Uh, and Dono Sanchez Almara. The most interesting man in comics. <laughs> I think that was a little racist of me right there. <laughs> 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 Sorry. I'm a dick. Okay, so 
uh, Civil War to the Oath. So we've got Cap has just been made the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so he has gone to talk with the, well, it's not a corpse, but the unconscious body of Iron Man. This one's going to be kind of hard to actually say what all goes on because it's like, it's basically. You got to summarize this one. This is very, very long. Very long, very wordy. Yes. yes. Super wordy, but super good. It's just a giant monologue from Captain America. Yeah, Cap's just yeah. basically sitting there talking to unconscious Iron Man, and he's basically like summarizing like a lot of the events that have gone on, and how like the whole Ulysses thing changed everything. And he's while he's saying that he didn't want this responsibility. Well, for me, it's kind of interesting how it alternates between being really inspiring Captain America stuff and really mm-hmm. fucking menacing evil shit. Mm-hmm. Like within like the same page, it's like it's almost like you can see him like turn to the left or something, and then it's like now I'm evil Captain America. And I turn to the right, and I'm good, Captain America. No, I'm good. No, I'm good. I do good. So fucking true. It's almost like when fucking, like, Gollum and Smeagol are talking, <laughs> and they keep, like, switching back and forth. It's kind of like that. This is a long, long thing. It'd be impossible for me to really summarize the whole speech that's going on. Basically, as Cap is talking to, uh, when evil Cap starts coming out, he starts telling him how, he, you know, I wish you were conscious so that you could watch me tear the world you built down brick by brick. There's a lot of different things that go on. There's a lot of talk about the new global defense thing, and he talks shit to Carol Danvers, and the crescendo of this whole thing is that in the very end, he starts talking about how he's going to make the world better, and how during Ulysses' vision, while everybody else was so focused in on him getting killed, he's talking about how he had his eyes wide open, and he looked around, and he saw what was really going on. There's this awesome set of panels, and it's like the United States its flag and it's like covered in blood and then there's like this big huge register with the ranks of hydra sign and then it's like the american flag has the hydra symbol and there's like these little kids in class saluting like nazis because they're Hydra guys. Yeah, it's that two-fisted like, Hydra salute thing that they do. It's like people in concentration camps and all this stuff. And then it ends with the White House. It's got a big old chunk taken out of it. And like all these Hydra people doing their salutes and stuff. And that's where it ends. And yeah, I wish I could do a better job summarizing it. But there's just a lot of shit that goes on. It's 25 pages or so of just pure monologue. Yes. And most of it, like you were saying, is summarizing kind of what's happened in Civil War. Catching up a little bit on some of the stuff with the Captain America arc and a little of Mighty Captain Marvel where there's this global shield that they're going to be putting up. This feels like it's very much a summary issue of what's happened before and propelling you into the next thing, which is going to be Secret Empire. Don't let our skipping on it dissuade you. I mean, this is really good storytelling going on here. It's a really good monologue and I was definitely glad to have this one. If you maybe haven't been keeping up on Pleasant Hill or when Cap went to Hydra or maybe Secret Wars and you're like, I want to start reading Marvel Comics, this is probably your entry point into going forward because it summarizes all of those, sets up the conflict, tells you what's happening, what the stakes are, and moves you forward. I think it's like an important bridge issue. Kind of like as a side note, I liked when Miles Morales was watching Captain America get sworn in as the head of S.H.I.E.L.D. and he was talking about how everyone thinks that just because he didn't kill him that one day on the steps of the Capitol that it won't happen someday, which obviously is true from the vision. Like, the vision is not come to pass yet, but it's still kind of hanging out there, and I think Miles feels that. And just like his buddy told him, maybe it's because Captain America is evil. <laughs> Foreshadowing. I thought it was really good. Way too wordy, though. It was way, 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 way too wordy. I, 
I get what they're going, but it's also very horrible to see that where social commentary right now. Yeah, I just kept on thinking when I was reading this, I was like expecting like Captain America to like put on a red baseball cap and be like, this is Trump's America now. Yeah. Nick Spencer was really smart to see what was coming and have Captain America take this turn several months before, which means when he started writing this even longer before that, before Trump won his election. The Captain America is supposed to be a symbol and seeing him morph into this Nazi ideal is very spot on commentary that people I think freaked out about and made them look yeah. away when they should have been keeping their eye on the game, so to speak. And I think this is definitely a commentary on the Trump administration. I agree. He goes full Trump in this. <laughs> full on Trump. Never go full Trump. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> Never go full Trump. All right. We were ready to rate this. Definitely some great cap soliloquy. So I'm going to give it four and a half. There's always a price at an open bar. Three brooding teenagers on a rooftop. <laughs> Similar. I will give it four. Miles Morales, you may be our only hope. Uh, our, speaking of our only hope, still in Marvel. I look forward to all of these. Doctor Strange, issue number 16, Marvel Comics. Blood in the Aether, part five, The Dread, written by Jason Aaron. Pencils by Chris Bacco, Corey Smith, inks by Alve, John Livesey. There are way too many names on here. I know. It takes a whole village to ink their artwork. Hey, I had to write them out. You can read them. Ah, fuck. <laughs> you better eat that dinner. I cooked it. You eat it. Don't feed that script to your dog. You eat the whole thing. Okay, fine. We're going to leave off. Uh, inks by Alve, John Livesey, Victor Olazaba, Tim Townsend, and Corey Smith. Colors by Antonio Fabella, Java, Java Tartaglia. I was going to say Tarantula. And again, Chris Basso. So this is the evil return of Dormammu. The story starts out with, with a flashback, which I do actually totally love the flashbacks that they do in this. I think they're great. I love how they do them in, in black and white. And it, this is one of those stories, almost like the puking without puking, where he figures out the tricks to the trade, basically. Like, he actually figures out what he has to do to overcome whatever he's fighting, which I totally love the backstory to this. It's Dormammu. He's a giant asshole. He's the giant asshole who seems to always come back. Well, I loved how he turned kind of from the movies where he's like, I did what you did, Doctor Strange. I made a deal. When he's talking about the empirical... Right. I love that. Yeah, turning the uh, the tables on him. He's like, I'm going to do exactly what you did me every freaking time. So more fighting with Dormammu. And I love that he calls him Dormy. That was one of my favorite lines. I love that they used it a couple times. I love that so much. That's a sweet little pet name that you have for your arch villain. <laughs> The other, God, the other scene that I loved where the stab, 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 where he's actually stabbing. It looks so epic until you zoom out, yeah. And I go, stab, stab, stab. That was one of my other random favorites. Okay, so back to the story. He's fighting Dormammu. We've got, of course, Baron Mordo and his man of many faces. What was that thing's name? They give it a name in this one. Misery, I believe. So basically, it's like Doctor Strange finding all the bad things, like everything, all the things that we've seen so far, his new misery thing, and Wong and Zelma are trying to figure out how they can help him and Wong goes and tries to make a deal with misery it does not turn out well no <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, they end up working as a team. <laughs> well, no, no, no. They become a team at the end. And I kind of fucked up twist. Are you talking about Baron Morgan? No, I'm talking about Misery and Wong. What happens to them at the end? I don't know if you call it a team or that you're now Kidnapping. just a host. <laughs> I'm going to say that you're now just a host <laughs> at this point. There's no I in team. There's literally a thousand eyes in this one. <laughs> Zing. Dad joke. How badass was that page where he's actually doing the exorcism? Oh, yeah. So badass. 
so so badass all the panels in this are so great the artwork is really really great in this I like it a lot the one thing I do kind of like is we see a little more Velma Zelma I said Velma <laughs> Dinkies she's trying to help she's not just the librarian she does help I like to see that a lot this is just one fucked up all at battle of all the baddies which I, I did enjoy a lot well, that was pretty fun another good solid issue what'd you think of it Rory I love this that's the thing it's like I never really before we picked up the end of magic I had never really read much Doctor Strange so it was nice to jump into this there's tons of humor in it artwork is killer seeing all of the weird ass villains yeah that's probably the height of this one <laughs> yeah ultimately i i enjoyed it i thought it was a good story i love his flaming asshole of an enemy and (laughs) (laughs) big other arch nemesis is mordo who's the world's biggest loser (laughs) it's like uh, you almost start feeling bad for him i think it blended horror with kind of like desperation and then like really heroic moments too yes there's no clean victories for dr strange right like everything has a price no here and in the end like we were kind of alluding to wong gets kind of absorbed by misery and is now part of it so that's kind of the price he has to pay for defeating dormammu pretty damn good issue that's always a trope in magic where you know whatever you give out you get back three times it is exactly magic i think they even explained it in the craft that ancient occult tome (laughs) reference material one of the best explanations of that though is that it always comes back to you there is a price to pay so we want to rate it yes i'm gonna give it a four ghost planes go (laughs) i really like that line i will give it four and a half out of my way captain cornea (laughs) oh gee so many good lines in this one four and a half it's bad enough we're stuck with staten island (laughs) (laughs) we don't need another borough when i saw that i was like oh i gotta take that one So, those were the books we read this week. To check out our other podcasts, Broke Gaming and Cut the Cord, as well as other nerd shenanigans, go check out fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter or at Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music and on Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to come back next week for another great episode. Until then, keep reading nerds.